Welcome to our class on Chassidus. We're going to be learning today a beautiful Hasidic discourse from the Rebbe on the holiday of Hanukkah. The actual the name of the Hasidic discourse is called Lahavin Inyaneris Hanukkah to understand the spiritual significance of the lights of Hanukkah. The Rebbe said this Hasidic discourse on Shabbos Parshas Vayeshev, which that year was Erev Hanukkah, in the year Tavshin Chavav, exactly 55 years ago. The Rebbe went on to certify and edit this Hasidic discourse, and it came out as a contrast for Hanukkah in the year Tavshin Nun Beis, 29 years ago. And as of now, this is the last certified and edited Hasidic discourse that we have from the Rebbe. So the Hasidic discourse opens up and it says, Lahavin Inyan Hanukkah, to understand the idea behind the candles of Hanukkah. What does that mean? We're lighting Hanukkah candles. What is it? What is the Kabbalistic significance of these Hanukkah candles? So seemingly you can say, what do you mean? We're lighting the Hanukkah candles to commemorate the candles of the base of Migdosh. And we know that anytime we establish something, that Chum established something, it's similar to what, what Hashem established. So seemingly, it's whatever the candles of the base of Mikdash represented, that's what the candles of Hanukkah should represent. So that would be in a normal case. However, you see there's tremendous differences between the Hanukkah candles and the candles of the Mikdash. And since there's differences, obviously it must be different. And if it's different, so you want to know what's the Kabbalistic significance of uniquely the Hanukkah candles versus the candles in the base of Mikdash. What is the difference between the Hanukkah candles and the candles in the Mesa Mikdash? So first of all, we see in the numerical amount of candles that are in the candelabra. The candelabra in the Beit HaMikdash had seven candles. And the Hanukkah menorah we know has eight candles. So that's one difference. The second difference is the place where you put the candelabra. So in the Beit HaMikdash, the candelabra was put inside. And it was also in a holy place. Versus the Hanukkah candles, where do you light it? You light it outside. And in the base of Mikdash, it was put on the right side, and the Hanukkah candles were put on the left. So you, the place is totally different. In the base of Mikdash, it's inside, a holy place on the right, Chesed. And the Hanukkah candles is outside, on the left, which is Gvura. Also, in the time that you light the Hanukkah menorah, so the ones in the base of Mikdash, when you light the menorah, the, the, you light it at Plag HaMincha, which is approximately an hour and a quarter before Shkia Sachama, when, when the sun sets. On the other hand, we know the lighting of the Hanukkah menorah is specifically when Shkia Sachama, when the sun starts going down. So that's so far three major differences. And the previous Rebbe adds another major difference. And he says like this, that the mitzvah, as we said before of Hanukkah, is to light it where specifically outside. And he says, we don't find any mitzvah besides the red heifer that, the, that it has to be specifically outside and more specifically in the Rishus Harabim in a public domain. And so again, the, so you see there's a tremendous stark difference between the Hanukkah candles and the Beis HaMikdash candles. Now he says, even though you can say simply, what's the reason why we light the Hanukkah candles outside? Because you have to come, you have to, uh, um, uh, uh, announce and you have to uh, proclaim the miracle that many, many people should see it. It should be something which everyone should know about. You have to market the miracle. But the, but the, Rebbe, the previous Rebbe says, but that's not, that's not a good enough reason to say that's the only difference. Why? Because we know that the miracle of Purim, we also have to uh, make it public. How do we do that? We make a big feast 
and we send presents and we help out the poor people, but nevertheless, you don't do that in a public place. But here specifically, Hanukkah, you specifically have to do it in a public place. Even though Purim, you're supposed to advertise the miracle, but you don't have the, the Purim parties necessarily outside, and you don't um, give out gifts only outside. It's done wherever it's done. Here you see there's something unique about doing it outside, and the question is, what is it? So, the Rebbe explains as follows, that the uh, idea is, and it's explored down in many, many places in Chassidus, that the essence of Hanukkah, and specifically the candles of Hanukkah, the light of Hanukkah, is to bring light into darkness. Hanukkah is about taking a dark place, I don't mean only physically dark, spiritually dark, and bringing light into a dark place. That's what Hanukkah is all about. Brightening up darkness, bringing happiness where there's the opposite, bringing joy where there's the opposite, Bringing salvation was the opposite. Spiritual salvation. Brightening up the darkness. Now why is that so important? Because we know, what was the goal of the Greeks? The goal of the Greeks was, I'll say it in Hebrew and I'll translate, And we should, God forbid, forget the Torah. We should forget the mitzvahs of Hashem. And especially after they went into the temple, and they went ahead, they didn't destroy the temple, they took the oil, which is holy oil, and they didn't destroy it, they just made it impure. So their goal was, you have oil, so it's not holy. They wanted to take away from us the fire and the relationship we have with Hashem. So what, what they were trying to create was a spiritual darkness. So therefore, when the Chashmonoyim were successful in waging war, and they were successful against the Greeks. So then they established to light Hanukkah candles to what? To bring, to bring light to a darkness. Here where they wanted to take away our connection with Hashem and take away our purity, we should bring light and purity into our world. Based on that, the previous server explains, that's why when do you light the candles? Not like in the temple, while it's still day, an hour and a quarter before Shkia Zahama. You light it specifically when it gets dark. Why? Because again, the main reason of the Hanukkah candles is when it's dark to light it. You want to see when it's dark to bring, bring light in there. And therefore also, where do you put the Hanukkah menorah specifically? You put it outside, in a public, in a public place, and in the left, in the negativity. Why? Because you want to bring light to the outside, uh, you want to bring light into the place where it's negative on the left. Anywhere where it's negative, anywhere where it's dark, anywhere where it's public, you want to bring light there. And that's why also the lights of candles were how many? There were eight. Why? What's the idea of eight? Because we know that eight is above nature. And you want to take the above nature spirit, bring that above nature into the darkness, into the public place. And since eight is above nature, so you want to bring the energy of above nature. And as nature is, it makes sense, it's things that we can relate to. The idea is, no, no, our relation with Hashem is above nature. And bring that above nature, bring it into the physical world. And, um, and that's why specifically the, the Yontav of Hanukkah is not only do we use eight candles. We actually, how many days is Hanukkah? It's eight days. The eight day, we celebrate Hanukkah for eight days. Why? Because the light which is shines in the in Hanukkah 
is a light which is above nature. A very, very powerful light that shines above nature. Now, <clears throat> this light that's above nature, which basically is shining in the holiday of Hanukkah, and especially through the candles of Hanukkah, how did we get this above nature light? You can't just go ahead. Where did you get it from? You can't just go ahead and buy it. Where did we get this above nature light? This came to us because Matis and his children went on Messiris Nefesh, and because they went on self-sacrifice, therefore we earned the gift of the light which is above nature. And this idea that this light which bring, comes into the darkness, it happens in two ways. And as we, we discussed many, many times in Chassidus, there's something which is called Milmato Lamayla and Milmayla Lamato. And we'll explain again, obviously, over here. Milmato Lamayla means from above below. What does it mean above, above below? Above, from, Milmato means from below above. What does below mean? Below, we don't mean physically below. Below means where it's dark, to go to a place of above where it's more brighter. In other words, like this. Milmato means, since, the, since it was so dark, Mean to say is, they would try to get us to disconnect with Hashem, to not to have our special relationship with Hashem. They were trying to bring spiritual darkness to us. So because it was so dark, they were trying to get us to forget the Torah and the, the, the will of Hashem. And they made, took all the oil and they made it impure. So they created tremendous darkness, which is called Mata. Mean to say is, there's less of God revelation. So then within the Matisio and the children, they awakened within themselves, Mesiris Nefesh, which comes from above nature of a human being. Because in nature, you say, all right, I don't have to go and self-sacrifice. You make an intellectual calculation, emotional calculation. All right, you know, let's wait for the storm to pass. But if you're going to Mysterious Nefesh, you're making a calculation above nature. So when they brought out their Mysterious Nefesh, that means they went into a place above rational uh, rational response. They went into a response which is above rational. So because of that, they were able to draw down from the infinite, the essence of Hashem, which is above nature, down into this world. So again, so means because it was so dark, and the metasyon but of when it means they 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 went into a place of above nature. They call that the koyach, the power of Messias Nefesh. Therefore, they brought down this powerful the powerful light. That is something which is called Melmatalamaila. What does Melmatalamata mean? That Melmatalamata means that this powerful infinite light which is above nature, brings down light into the darkness of the world. Now, based on this, we see very clearly the differences between the lights of candles of Hanukkah and the lights in the base of Migdosh. What's the difference? Because the light that was in the base of Migdosh, how do we have light in the base of Migdosh? It wasn't, didn't come through Messias Nefesh. Nobody went on self-sacrifice. So therefore, the revelation was nature. And therefore, specifically, how many candles were in the base of Mikdash? Seven. Because seven we know is seven days of the week. Seven is nature. And again, it's again the cause for lighting the candles in the in the base of Mikdash is not is a natural cause. And therefore, again, we have seven. On the other hand, and, and because it's a natural cause, it doesn't have the power to light up the darkness. Why? Because darkness and light is two opposites. Light is light and darkness is darkness. And the light of nature cannot light up, dar cannot light up darkness. Because it's an opposition to it. And therefore, where do you light the menorah? Keep it inside. Keep it in a holy place. Keep it on the right. Keep it with chesed, where it's strong over there. 
And when do you light it? You light it before it gets dark, an hour and a quarter before while it's bright. It can handle it. It can bring light to a light place. On the other hand, the lights of the Hanukkah, which came through Mysterious Nefesh, so it's above nature, so it has tremendous power, and therefore it's eight candles. A candle, a light which is above nature, and therefore it has the power to brighten up the darkness. And the previous server explains in the Discourse, that's the reason why, where do you light the Hanukkah candles? You light it on the, you light it on, on the outside, on the, on, the, on the outside, and specifically in the Rosh Hashanah in public domain. Even though we don't find any mitzvah, besides again the exact the one unique case of Paraduma, the red heifer, that you, that has to be outside because the whole purpose of Hanukkah is to brighten up the darkness and to brighten up the public place. So the Rebbe asks a very simple question. Lachayra, seemingly uh, you ha- there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a simple question that's asked there. Why? How did we get? this powerful light of above nature that we can brighten up the darkness. We got it because of mysterious nefesh, the self-sacrifice of Matasyo and his, and his children. So seemingly, we all know that on Purim, the Jewish people also went a mysterious nefesh. And not only that, by Hanukkah, who went a mysterious nefesh, only Matasyo and his kids. By Purim, everybody went a mysterious nefesh. But nevertheless, there's no uh, event in Purim that has to be outside. If you're saying the cause to bring down this powerful light is because of mysterious nefesh, and his children, by Purim there was mysterious nefesh, and everybody went to mysterious nefesh. And we don't find that it should be done specifically where, strictly outside. A question, which we'll deal with soon. <clears throat> now, this light that's in the, that was in the base of Mikdash, as we said before, the regular ca- the regular candles of the base of Megdosh, those are candles which are hishtalshalos, which means natural, nature. Which, what does it mean, nature? So if you have light and you have darkness, if you're in the laws of nature, so there's a conflict. The light is stronger, the darkness is stronger, it's a real conflict. But, and w- what we said before, that the light of Hanukkah is above nature. So the clarifies and says like this, this that we say, that the lights in the base of Megdosh was a light of nature, it's only in reference to the very, very powerful light of Hanukkah. But the truth is, even the lights in the base of Migdosh, the candles in the base of Migdosh, were also above nature. And, and, and in a certain sense, darkness has no place, can't, can't stand really a, a fight against the light of the base of Migdosh. In other words, like this. So when we say the light of Hanukkah compared to the light of Beis Hamikdash, so the light of Hanukkah is above nature, and the light of Beis Hamikdash is within nature. But the truth is, to, to make it clear, to make a disclaimer, the light of the Beis Hamikdash is also above nature. When you put the two together, obviously the light of Hanukkah is much stronger. But not God forbid to think that the light of the Beis Hamikdash is a light of nature. And Deborah explains as follows: Why is that? Because we know that who built the Beis Hamikdash. So. The, the architect, the draftsman of the base of Migdash was King David. But we know Hashem didn't let him build it. Who built it? King Solomon, his son, Shlomo Melech, built it. And why did, why did Hashem want specifically Shlomo Melech to build it? Because Hashem said King David had too much blood in his hand. On the other hand, Shlomo Melech, he was a man of peace. Um, calm, peace. Um, in his days, it was very, very peaceful for the Jewish people. And therefore, because it was a place of peace, he was a person of peace, Hashem wanted specifically Shlomo Melch to build a base of Mikdash. 
And matter of fact, not only was it peace for the Jewish people, all the nations of the world, all the non-Jews, were totally, had tremendous respect and humility for King Solomon. And that's why in his time it was very, very quiet and peaceful. Because Shlomo HaMelech comes from, comes from his name, Shlomo comes from the word of peace. You knows he was a king that peace reigned in his time. What does that mean, peace reigned in his time? So it's brought down in Kabbalah and Chassidus that the infinite light, which is above nature, because once you have the infinite eye above nature, guess what? No one can stand up against them. And therefore, all opposition were totally blown away. So you see clearly that even in the base of Migdash, the light of the base of Migdash, not only the light of Hanukkah, was also above nature. And this was even before the base of Migdash was built. He already had this powerful light. So how much more so when he finally built the base of Migdash, the powerful infinite light above nature also was there. But nevertheless, again, so in its own right, the light of the base of Migdash is above nature. But when you compare it to the light of Hanukkah, so as comparison, so the light of the base of Migdash is like, it's a part of nature compared to the light of Hanukkah. So if that's the case, that we're saying is that, okay, fine, I get it. The light of the base of Migdash really is above nature. But when you compare it to the light of Hanukkah, that's considered nature, and that's considered above nature. So you have to understand the difference between the light of the base of Migdash and the light of Hanukkah. Also, so, so we have two questions. Another, another, another issue we have to deal with, where it's brought down and says like this. When do you light the Hanukkah, Hanukkah candles? You light it, Mishatishka Chama. When it starts getting dark, what's the reason why you light it when it starts getting dark? Because you want to bring light into the darkness. Now, <clears throat> this that the light of the Hanukkah brightens up the darkness is because it, it gives gives light, but it gives light when it's dark. So why are you lighting it when it starts getting dark? Why don't you wait till it actually gets dark? The whole purpose is to light up the darkness. So why are we lighting it? When it starts getting, wait till it gets dark, then light up the darkness. That's another another question we have to deal with. Also, it's brought down and says, where, did, where, where was the Hanukkah menorah placed? The Hanukkah menorah's place was outside, so that you should light up the darkness, and specifically, as the Friedrich points out, of the public domain. Now, what did we say before? The light of Hanukkah is above nature. That means, when you say something is above nature, it means it has no limits. Now, if something has no limits, it doesn't have to be outside to light up the outside. It could be inside, and from the inside also light up the outside. Why? Because it has no limits. If something has a limit, so if you want to light up the outside, you have to bring the light outside. But if it has no limits, it can be inside, and from the inside it can light up the outside. And especially, like we explained before, that... Um, that when you um, that there's a difference between two types of, of of transformation. That means like this: you have one type of a type of transformation of that took place in the Mishkan, in the Tabernacle, and then you have which which what what was the transformation that took place in the Mishkan and Tabernacle? It was it, when the transformation took place in a way of a war. Why? Because it went in the desert, and the goal was to transform all the sparks that were in the desert. Now, the, the transformation of the actual Beit HaMikdash, the final temple, that was in a way a peace. 
As we said before in the times of King Solomon, it was peaceful. Not only was it peaceful, all the sparks came to King Solomon. The light was so strong that the sparks came to K King Solomon. Now, if, so again, so we see the difference between the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash. The Mishkan went out and had to deal with the sparks in terms of like it was engaging in battle. By the base of Migdash in the times of King, King uh, Solomon, Shleim HaMelech, the sparks, would, it was so strong, the sparks would come and would get elevated automatically. Now, if we're saying that the base of Migdash itself, compared to the Mishkan, where the light was so strong that the, every, everything was attracted to it, and it, it, and it transformed it once, once it came to the base of Migdash, so how much more so, the lights of Hanukkah is much more powerful. So if the lights of Hanukkah are much more powerful, why do you have to put it outside? So why do you have to put the lights of the Hanukkah outside? Okay, that's another question. A lot of times in Chassidus you have many, many questions until you get to the heart of the issue, and then afterwards all the questions go away. All right, so now we're going to go into a very, very deep Hasidic um, analysis of blessings, prayer, and different levels in the specific sphere of Kesser. Um, so just to, give, just to give a short introduction, we know that in, in the Svirot, so there's ten spherot. Sometimes it starts with Chachma, the three intellect and the seven emotions, and sometimes it starts with Keser. Whether it starts with it or not, it's irrelevant. The fact is Keser is above nature. So the spherot really, the natural spherot is Chachma Bin Adas and the, the intellect and the emotions. Keser is above nature. Keser itself, there's Chitsoinius and Pneumius of Keser. Chitsoinius of Keser is called Arich, that's the low, the external part of Kesser. The Pneumius, the internal part of Kesser, is called Atik. Now, in the, the internal, just for, again, for, just for today's, for, I mean, there's many, many classes you can give on every one of the spheroids, but for today's class, we're going to focus on Kesser, the Chitsonius of Kesser, Pneumius of Kesser, Arach and Atik. And in Atik itself, which is Pneumius of Kesser, there's Pneumius of Atik. Not only premius of Kesser, premius of Atik. So it's the internal part of Kesser and the internal of the internal part of Kesser, which is premius Atik. And that's what we're going to be talking about now. So the Rebbe says he's going to explain this with an introduction based on a verse which we all know. We say it uh, at least twice a day in Ashrei, in the, from, from Psalms, uh, from King David in, Sal, in, 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 this, in, in, in uh, Psalms 145. So it says as follows. Yoiducha Hashem kol masecha. What is a little translation? That all the things that Hashem you created, Yeducha. Yeducha means we're going to acknowledge. Just like we say in the beginning of when we wake up in the morning, Moida, we acknowledge. Or we start the prayer service, Hoidu, we acknowledge. Yeducha Hashem Kalmasecha. Everything that Hashem created is Yeducha. We accept Hashem. And then it says, Vachasidecha, your pious, your uh, the people, Hasidim, Yivarchucha, are going to bless you. That's the verse. So again, Yoiducha Hashem Kalmasecha, all the things Hashem you, um, that you created will um, acknowledge you, Haidoya, and Vachasidecha, and all your Hasidim, all your um, pious people, Yivarchucha, are going to bless you. So the Rebbe brings from the Rebbe Rashab, in the in a Hasidic discourse called Padiba Shalom, which is in the in the year of Tafresh Ayin Beis, which is a very very powerful year of Hasidus, and uh, the Rebbe the Rebbe explains over there as follows. What does it say? It says the second half of the verse. Chasidecha, the Hasidim, 
which we're all chassidim, we could be all, we should be all, are going to, are going to bless you. Where does it say that? In the same verse, in the second half of the verse, where in the first half it says, Yoiducha Hashem kol masecha. That we're going to acknowledge all the, all the creations of the world are going to acknowledge you. In other words, like this. Why, what's, the, what's the connection? Why is it both in the same verse? So he explains as follows. Because this, that, chasidecha, which we're going to explain what chasidecha means spiritually, but this, that chasidecha are going to bless you, comes from a very, very high place, from the high place of Yeducha, which represents the infinite light, which is above nature. In other words, what does that mean? Because, generally speaking, our relationship with Hashem, we can be an emotional, we feel the love of Hashem, Hashem feels our love. Then there's intellect, where we understand Hashem. And then it's beyond understanding, we accept. So accepting, uh, it's much deeper than understanding. I accept. What's the reason? No, no, reason we're going down to intellect. How do you feel about going down to emotions? Not I feel right, and not it makes sense to me. I accept. So Yudukha is a very, very powerful place. Yudukha is a place of above nature. Yudukha Hashem kol masecha. That means all the, your act, everything that Hashem you created, Yudukha. They're going to accept you, which is very huge. That's huge. Everyone accepts. Not they feel you, they feel your love, it makes sense to them. No, they accept you. What does that mean? Above nature. So, that's the first half of the verse. Vachasidecha yivarchucha, someone that's a chassid, blesses you from what type of place? Above nature. Just like yeducha is above nature, same thing also yivarchucha, of chasidecha is also above nature. Very important that you get this, because this we're going to go into in tremendous in-depth. So again, one more time. So the Rebbe Shab explains one more time that that we're going to accept you above nature. No logic, no reason, no feeling. We accept. So someone that's on the level of a chassid, which we'll soon see an in-depth explanation of what chassid means, they're going to bless you from that place of where? Of acceptance, above nature. So therefore, based on the story, Shab explains as follows. That the reason why this bracha is connected to above nature, because it only comes from someone that's a chesidecha. So this is heavy stuff. What does it mean practically? So he explains like this. You know, we need to understand this powerful level of blessing which comes above nature, and why specifically only chasidecha can reach that place. So the Rebbe Rakshab, to, you know, to, to explain to us this powerful insight he just taught us, so he first, he starts off with an introduction to understand the difference between a blessing and a prayer. Everyone always asks, what's the difference between a blessing and a prayer? So he explains very simple, that prayer is something which is called milmata lamayla, we used the term before already, which means it starts from a low place spiritually and you elevate to a higher place. What is, and, and which that means, basically, the person that's praying is lamata. means that he, he's lacking something. He doesn't have it. You know, so you can't pray for something you have. If you, if you have it, why are you praying? 
you don't have it, you have a lack, and so because so because you have a lack, you're considered milamata, lower, because you're lacking it on a spiritual level, and you're asking, hey, someone up there on high that has access, please send me down something which I don't have. So again, prayer is milamata lamayla, which means I don't have, I'm asking on high, please send me down the, those powerful gifts that you have on high. And again, we don't actually mean physically on high, we mean spiritually on high. Now, that's a prayer. So a, pr- a prayer is milmata lamayla. What's a blessing? A blessing is milmata lamata. When you give a blessing means that I am blessing you. I have something, you don't have it, and I'm giving it to you. So in other words, when you, when you give a blessing, you have, or you have access, the other person doesn't, and milmaila from a place that you have, you're giving to where we don't have. Now, because a blessing is I have, milmaila, and I'm giving someone doesn't have, so therefore when you make a blessing, it's a command. Baruch, I'm blessing. Whoa, how do you have it? If I have it, I, can make, I, can, I, I make a command to give it. Because since the one giving the blessing has it, so he can command it. And therefore he could and he should command when he gives the blessing. Now, so that's the benefit of a blessing over a prayer. That again, a prayer is milmatalamaila. That means you're asking for something from high to give you. A blessing is milmailamata that's it's giving you from the top from top from a place where it has to it doesn't have. And therefore it's therefore it's done in the way of a command. Now. So that's the benefit of a blessing. But on the other hand, there's something much more powerful about a prayer. What's the power of the prayer? Because a blessing, when you're giving a blessing, you have it and you're giving it. Could you give something you don't have? You can't. Let's say you, have, you want to bless somebody with something. You have it, you give it to them. What if you don't have it? How can you give it to them? On the other hand, the prayer, the power of a prayer is you could ask Hashem for something that you don't have. And now you don't have, it's not even in, 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 car, in, the, in the cards for you to get it. And not only that, but even if there was, God forbid, a decree that God forbid someone should be sick, the, the decree, you can go ahead and pray that there should come down a brand new energy from the infinite God, which is above nature. Because all the decree is you should have, you shouldn't have, that's nature. Should and shouldn't is nature. When you go into above nature, there's no shouldn't, shouldn't. So prayer has the power to reach above nature. And because you're reaching above nature, you can pray for things that's not even in store for you to have. And that's why when we pray, what do we say many of the prayers? It should be the will. What does that mean? It should be the will. It should be a new will. It should be a rotsin chadosh. Something that doesn't even exist. Something that's not in the cards. Or God forbid, I was supposed to get it and there was a decree against me. Guess what? Prayer has the power to create something new. So based on this, the Rebbe Rashab explains as follows. That's the powerful blessing of the blessing of a chassid is that even though, what do we say, what's the pro of a blessing that you can give? The con is if it's not there, you can't give it. You need prayer for that. But a chassid can bless that you can have, and something that's even not in the the cards to give. How? How can you if you don't have it? Ah, Yehuducha. Because the chassid draws down from Hoidoya. So in his blessing of a chassid, you have two qualities. 
One is that you have the power to give it. You're from above. You have the power to give it. But also you can draw down things that you don't have in store to give. So in other words, the, you, since you're ducha, since you're drawing down from the infinite light, which is above nature, means you can get a brand new, brand new will, a brand new something which only usually comes through prayer. But nevertheless, it's a blessing, not a prayer, and you can do it in a in a commanding way. So again, just to recap real clearly, the way Dereva Shab explains this verse is, Yoiducha Hashem Kolmasecha that you're reaching a place of above nature. No logic, no reason. Yes, no, it's all the same thing. Someone that's a chassid, which is connected to above nature, he can give you a bracha, which means that he's guaranteed issue, but he can also get you something which is not in store for you. Why? Because he reaches above nature. And uh, like they, they, they're like the, the, the Rebbe Shab quotes from from the from the tractate from the Talmud Yerushalmi. It says like this: It says in the verse, "Vatigzer Oimer Bayokim Lacha," which means, and the Yerushalmi, the Talmud Yerushalmi says as follows: Even if a Kaddish Baruch Hu says you should get or you shouldn't get, and you come along and say, "There's a, a Chassid says yes, you should get," you will get. Not what Hashem said you're not going to get. Why? Which means very simple. Even after that there was a gzera, there was a decree that you shouldn't get. Who Omar Hachin? He said you're not getting it. But nevertheless you still get it. Why? Because a brand new light is coming in. Yeah, you're not going to get it. I get it. We went to the source and from the source he brought down a whole brand new light. And that's the power of prayer. And the way it comes down, not that you have to beg and ask, and either they'll say yes or no, because he says, no, hachin, you get, you get it automatic. And like the uh, Rebbe brings from, we all know, the famous uh, piece of Zohar, from the Rashbi, Rashbi, uh, they, they came, there was no rain, there was a drought. So normally people pray and blessings, Rashbi didn't do that. What did he do? He said a, uh, a Torah thought, and just by saying a Torah thought, all of a sudden it start, started the rain. Now, even though we know normally uh, if it, when, it, when it's not raining and there's a drought, there's a lot of prayers and fasting you have to do but, and to create a new, new source of rain. But nevertheless, Rashbi, because he was the author of the Zohar, he had the power just by sharing a Torah thought, he was able to bring down a brand new um, energy and he was able to cause rain to come down. So that's, the, that's what the Rebbe explains. That's what it says. Yeiducha. Yeiducha means when you go to the place of Haidoya, where you're accepting, you're going to a place above nature, then vachasidecha, a chassid which reaches that place, yivachucha, he can cause to draw down a blessing, which means it's guaranteed to happen from a place which is above nature, and therefore you'll get a brand new blessing, which, never, which, you, which you never even thought you, you were going to get. Now, <clears throat> so now the Rebbe asks a very simple question what do we just say we're saying is who has the power to do this a chassid why because a chassid and this is very interesting a chassid is actually on a higher level than a tzaddik than a righteous person and like, like the Rebbe Hashem explains in the chassidic discourse that there's three levels I mean, they're all great levels. We're talking in high levels. There's three high levels. We'll start from the bottom. And again, bottom we're talking about spiritually. And then we're going to climb to the highest level. 
The three levels that the Rebbe Shem says is, the lowest level is a tzaddik. It's a pretty high level, but we're talking in these three levels, it's the, the lowest of these three. A tzaddik, a righteous person, yasher, someone that's straight, and a chassid, a pious person. So in other words, tzaddik, yasher is higher than a tzaddik, and chassid is even higher than yasher. So therefore, what it's supposed to say in the verse, Yeducha, Hashem, right? Bachasidecha Yivarchucha. In other words, in order to, so what does it come out from this verse? In order to receive um, a guaranteed issue of something that's not in store for you, you need to have chasidecha. Only a chasid can give it to you. And it comes automatic. Because he's getting it to place from Haidoya. The infinite, which is above nature. And specifically, who can do it as a chasid? So Rebbe asks a simple question, one second. We all know, in reference to a tzaddik, it, it, it tells us in the Talmud, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Goizer, God makes a decree, V'tzaddik Mavatil, a tzaddik has the power to annul the decree. And how does the tzaddik annul the decree? Not because he has to beg and plead, but Goizer, he makes a command. Because he commands that the decree should be nullified, therefore the decree goes away automatically. Or like, for example, it says in the verse, Sadik Moishel Begiris Alekim. And what we learned in the Talmud, it says that the Sadik has the power to rule in a certain sense over Hashem, to annul Hashem's decrees. So what does it come out from here? That a tzaddik can also have both things. It knows A, that he can command, so it's guaranteed to happen, and B, he can make it happen, and he can bring down something which doesn't ha- doesn't even, that's not in store for you, because he brings it down from above nature. So here we're saying is, the only one that can do it is a chassid. Guess what? A tzaddik can also do it. So why are we saying only a chassid can do it? So in order to understand this, he, the Rebbe Hashem brings in the Chassidic Discourse and he says like this. He brings from the Zohar. The Zohar says as follows. A Zahu Chassid. What is considered a Chassid? You have to know what a Chassid is. We know what a Tzaddik is, a righteous person. Yasser, a straight person, which we're not going to go into depth today with that is. But we're dealing with a Chassid. So what's a Chassid? If you want to be a Chassid, what is a Chassid? So the Zohar says, this is from the Kabbalah, what is a chassid? Hamischased im koinoi. That he does chassid, he does kindness with the one that created him. In other words, so the Zohar says as follows. The idea of a chassid is, he's not serving Hashem, so he should, be, so he should have a benefit. By serving Hashem, he's going to come close to Hashem. No, no, no. It's not about him becoming close to Hashem. It's about Hashem. He wants to do chesed for Hashem and with Hashem. And like Tanya explains, chapter 10, that a chesed is somebody, he's willing to give up his life for Hashem. It's all about doing what Hashem needs. High-level relationship. Not to benefit, but he wants to do what's good for Hashem and for Hashem. Now, based on that, so what's, what's a chesed? What's a chesed? A chassid is somebody, it's not about him, it's not about his relationship, it's not about climbing a spiritual ladder, ladder. it's about doing chassid with Hashem and for Hashem. It's about Hashem, it's not about him. It's not about him. That's the essence of a chassid. So again, so what is a chassid? A chassid is not about him and what he's getting, he or he or she is getting out of it. It's about doing what Hashem wants. Doing chassid for Hashem, with Hashem. That's what a chassid is. 
Now, what happens when you behave like a chassid? Then, when a chassid gives a blessing, so a chassid has the power to draw down from, you ready for this, we mentioned before, from Pneumius, not of Kesser, Pneumius of Attic, which means the Pneumius of the Pneumius of Kesser. So a chassid is someone, again, let's get, that, get, get it straight, a chassid is someone that his whole purpose is to do what Hashem wants. Hamaschassidim koinoi. Once he does what Hashem wants, he gets the, he, he, he pushes a button. Which button? The button of Pneumius of Attic. Which means it's the premius of the premius of Kesser. Because we said before, Kesser is Kesser. There's the Chitzonius, which is Arich, Pneumius, which is Attic. And the Chassid draws down from Pneumius of Attic. What does that mean practically? Well, soon the Arab explains beautifully. But just to know what we're dealing with. This is the GPS we're going with. That the Chassid is someone that connects to only wants to what Hashem wants. Not about him. And because it's not about him, he's able to connect to the deepest part, the premius of the premius of Kassar, which is premius of Atik. And because of that, a chassid is actually higher than a tzaddik and higher than even someone that's yosher, someone that's straight. Why? So he explains like this. And you're going to learn now the journeys of who has access to what. What keys different people have. So the, so the Rebbe explains like this. When a tzaddik does his avoidah, where does he connect to? He connects to chitzonius of keser. He connects to something which is called arach. Chitzonius of keser is called arach. So again, a tzaddik connects to where? Chitzonius of keser, arach. A someone that's a yosher, which is already higher than a tzaddik, he connects to where? Panemius of keser, which is atik. And when a chassid does his avodah, which is higher than tzaddik, higher than yasher, he connects to premius tzaddik. Now, why does a chassid get so high? How does a chassid get higher than tzaddik, higher than yasher? And here's the key thing. And guess what? It's important to know this because you have to know what it means to be a chassid, how you can become a chassid. Because the avodah of a chassid is bittal. Bittal is humility. A chassid is someone that's bottle. A chassid is someone that's not about himself. No mitzias. There's no me. There's no I. There's no you. There's no he, she. There's nothing. A chassid is totally bottle. It's about whatever Hashem wants. It's powerful. A chassid gives him, like the Alter writes in Tanya, chapter, the 10th chapter. What's a chassid? He's willing to give his life up. And he does. It's not about him. It's not about her. It's about what Hashem wants. So the avoidah of a chassid is bittal. No metzius whatsoever. So because the avoidah of a chassid is bittal, so he's able to draw down through his avoidah. It's a lot of work. Being bottle is a lot of work. Because the whole world tells you, 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 you. I, I, I. So you're breaking whatever, whatever anyone tells you, and whatever nature tells you, and you say, no, 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 whatever Hashem wants. In a certain way, it makes life easier when you get there. But what happens when you say, all right, whatever Hashem wants. So then you reach the highest level, which is nothing. And that is what? Pneumiasatic. And that's why Derba says, you find interesting is that um, when it comes to giving tzedakah, let's take tzedakah, charity. So tzedakah, who do you give charity to? 
You give charity to a poor person. If someone's rich, you can't give them charity. Char tzedakah you can only give to a poor person. You can only give to a poor person. If, if someone has money, how can you give him charity? Charity means he doesn't have and you're giving him. So again, so, so a tzaddik, tzedakah, is only for someone that's poor. On the other hand, gemilus chasadim, chesed. Doing chesed with someone, you can do to someone that's poor and someone that's rich. If it's tzedakah, giving them charity, they don't have, uh, only a poor person doesn't have. A rich person has, you can't give tzedakah to a rich person. Could you do chesed to a rich person? 100%. For example, let's say a rich person needs a loan. He's going to pay it back to you, but it's still chesed. You helped him out. Or a, a rich person is, um, needs uh, someone to talk to, whatever it may be, whatever is needed. You can't give tzedakah to him, but you can inspire him. You can help him out. You can do chesed with a rich person. So in other words, like this. So tzedakah can only do to a poor person. On the other hand, chesed, you can do even to a rich person. So you see that chesed is much more powerful than staka, and also chesed is also more powerful than ashiras. In other words, what's more powerful, rich, to be rich, or to be, to be chesed? Guess what? Chesed is much more powerful than rich. Why? Because someone that's rich can receive chesed. And we know all day long there are a lot of rich people that need chesed. They need, they need, they need kindness done to them. So chesed is much stronger. And over there, the, the Rabbi Rishav continues on to explain that um, these three ideas of tzedakah, ashiros, sh sh shifting from yashar to ashiros, and chesed, all applies to three different ways to draw down from above, which energy is coming down into this world, into the world of Malchus. So we're going to do one at a time. Let's take the idea of tzedakah. What is the idea of tzedakah? It means drawing, tzedakah means you're drawing down, you're giving into the world of Malchus. What's the idea of tzedakah? So think about it. What does it mean you're doing tzedakah? Someone doesn't have and you're giving. That means there was a lack, there was a void, and you're filling the void. Or no, that's the, it, says in the, it says in the Torah, Deimach uh, Seiroi, give the person what they're lacking, but you're not, you're not obligated to, to make them rich. You're giving them what they're lacking. In other words, what does that mean practically? So you're drawing down an energy which, is, which fits into Malchus, the part that's missing. And by doing that, you're filling the void. Someone has a void, they're short, and you're filling it. Short whatever it may be, and you're filling it. Now, so this revelation to fill the void, you don't need big, big, big tools here. Arich can do the job. Why? Because Arich is it's the lower part of Kesser. So it's, it has, it's, so it, even though it's above nature, but it's the source of nature. So therefore, it has, it's, it's a source. So it goes under the category of Soivev and Makif. And so it has a connection to the world, and that comes in the world. And, um, and that's why it's called tzedakah, because they avoid of what tzaddik is to bring down chitzayin yisakasar, to bring down arich into this world. Which basically, tzedakah again is filling a void. Filling a void. That's the first level. Then there's something which is called ashiras. What's ashiras? It's already more than filling a void. What are you do doing over here? Here you're drawing down from the essence, the pneumius of Kesser, which is Atik, and bringing it down to the world. So Ashiris already is drawing down a higher light. 
The person that you don't use, you, there's no filling a void. You don't need arach. You already have what they have. But you want to, you want to, you want to add to it. So you have to bring from pnimiyas atik. But let's go to the, the most important to our point. What is chesed, which is higher than ashiras, which means you're drawing down from pnimiyas, not of keser, which is atik, but pnimiyas of atik, which comes down to malchus. So that's what it, what it means when it says a zau chesed. What is a chesed? Hamischasedim koinoi. And the reason why a person, as we said before, what's a chassid? He's not doing it for himself. He's doing it for a higher calling. He's called a chassid. Why? Because that's called chassid. Chassid means you're not doing it for yourself. Because, in other words, the avoid of a chassid is whatever he's doing, there's, there's no ego. No ego. No metzias, no yesh, no ego. It's not about the person himself. So because it's less of you, you're actually drawing down from more of the infinite light, which is pnimius, not of chesed, pnimius of atik, and which is the idea of chesed, because you're drawing down from the highest level, and that's why the person is called a chesed. Those are three levels. Now, <clears throat> and that's why the verse says as follows, Yeducha Hashem kol masecha, right, coming from the place of Haidoya. Above Ishtalshalus, Vachasidecha Yivarchucha, and someone that's a chassid, which means Yivarchucha is going to give you a blessing guaranteed, he's going to bring it from the high, highest place, which is the highest place above Ishtalshalus, which is the place of Haidoya. Why? Because what's the ultimate in Haidoya? Acknowledgement, acceptance. That's premiasatic. So that's why it says specifically Vachasidecha Yivarchucha, because a tzaddik can also do it. A yasha can also do it. But guess what? They're not getting you from the deepest yeducha. They're not getting you from primis atik. They'll get you from arach. That's great. And they'll get, get you from, from, from atik. That's also great. It's amazing. But yeducha, primis atik, vachasidecha yivrechucha. The only one that can bring you from, 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 from yeducha, from the deepest place, that's specifically a chassid. And that's why it says vachasidecha, because specifically the only one that can bring you from the highest level, that's the idea of a chassid. Now, To take it, take it a, a step further, take it a step further as follows. The main novel idea behind Yoiducha, which means it's coming from above Ishtalshalas, and Yivarchucha, it's a guaranteed he's going to bless you, because it's coming from a place of Idai, which is above Ishtalshalas, is in a way of a bracha. What does a bracha mean? Automatic. What's a bracha? A prayer either will be answered or won't be answered. A blessing is automatic. And specifically, who's going to give you that blessing? Chasidecha. So Chasidecha have the power to give you that it's automatic. In other words, this that you can get from a place of Haidoya, a tzaddik and a yasher, arach and atik, that's great. You know, as arach, we said that's chitzonius of, 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 of keser, and, uh, which is also above nature. But, but the fact is, it's not automatic. The tzaddik has to pray, the usher has to pray. It takes a lot of effort. But the, the true idea where it comes automatic is only from a chassid. That's because when it comes from premius atik. Because when it comes from, uh, from a tzaddik, or it comes from a yasher, which means it comes from arich, um, the chitzonius akeser, or it comes from atik, it's not automatic. It requires effort, it requires a struggle. Where is it no struggle? Where it's seamless? That's only when it comes from the level of, 
a premier sathic. Why is that? Why is that? And here we're going to le- go into um, a deep analysis of the three different levels of chitzoynis hakeser, which is arich, pnimis hakeser, which is atik, and pnimis of atik, which is the highest level. Okay, so Derby explains like this. So we're going to get, get ready. We're going to go now deeper into this. Take a deep breath, a sip of water, and let's go on. Okay, so Derby explains as follows. We're going to start from the bottom, and we're going to work our way up. What's the lowest level of these three? The lowest level is which is called Arach. What's the, the higher level? What's the higher level? The Pneumius Akasar is called Atik. Now, Arach and Atik, we all know in Kabbalah, it's also called, it's similar to Rotsoin and Tainug. Rotsoin is will, which is, we know was Chitsoinius Akasar, and Tainug, which is pleasure. I'm not talking external pleasure from something deep, like a certain like deep pleasure, deep sensation of Tainug. That's Pneumius Akasar. What's the difference between Rotsoin and Tainug? Okay. So the way Rotsoin works is, is as follows. Rotsoin works, I'll say it in Hebrew, it works in a way of shlita, control. What does that mean? I know it was like this. Let's say, for example, you have a certain mindset, or you have a certain feelings, etc. And all of a sudden, from, you, you get a signal from above nature, from Kesser, your Kesser. In the Kesser, we're going to start with Chitzonius Kesser, Arich, from, and practically it's called your Rotson. You want to do something, but your mind is not ready, and you don't feel it's right. But your will just like comes in like a, like a powerhouse. We got to do this. Whoa. So what happens is, even though you think it's the wrong idea, or you think it's not ready, it's not the right time, or you don't feel right to do it, you just go ahead and do it, because the will is so powerful. Another, so what happens is your koichis, which is referring to your intellect and your emotions and your body, is not ready. But the will, we all know the willpower, the will is so strong. Now, sometimes it's good because sometimes you need it. Sometimes the will could be over, or too overbearing. But we're not going to get into the practicality whether it's needed or not. But we're talking about the actual, the actual sphere of chitzerni sakasar, arich, and the practicality of rotzen. So when rotzen comes in, we got to do this, and you, there's a will, the will, and you can't stop it. Unstoppable will. So when the will kicks in, and you go with it, you go with it. What happened to the intellect that all the reasons you don't want to do it, and all the feelings why you felt it was wrong, what happened? They went dormant. What means they went dormant? They just went to sleep. You know, it's too powerful. They know you're going to do it anyway. They're not ready, so they just go to sleep. So the will, the, the will didn't change your intellect, didn't change your feelings. It came in and pushed you to do something you were uncomfortable already to do. So what happens is the intellect and the emotion stayed in the same place as before. The difference is that the will overpowered it and actually forced it to go against its will, against its nature. That's the way will works. Will works again. It comes in. Let's do it. Okay? So you just... What, and again, nothing changed. What changes? You went ahead and you did it. Why? Because the will was very, very powerful. What happens... We're going to go up a notch. Not will, but we're going to go into Atik, which is... <coughs> which, which, which is the, the, the premius of Kesser, 
which we said is Tainug. So Tainug, it works differently. Tainug is pleasure. What does it mean it's pleasure? Not an external pleasure. We're talking about an internal pleasure. You know, like a deep, sensational pleasure that you have. You're like, it just feels right. You can't explain it. You can't even describe the feeling. It's just part of you. You know, it's like a natural feeling of what's right and what's wrong. So Tainug is when it's literally internally, internally part of you, and it's really who you are. It doesn't fight you, it's really who you are. Ah, yeah, it talks to me that I can't explain it, I, I can't feel it, except that's Tainug. Now, so when Tainug comes in and gives you like a certain feeling, it's the right feeling to do it, even though you don't understand it, even though you can't explain it, even though you can't describe it, you go with it. Were you forced? No, you were happy to do it. It's giving you tremendous, beautiful pleasure. Tainug. So, Tainug causes you to go against your thought, against your feeling, but you're going happily. Because somehow it touched you, you know, you say it touched me, in, like something in me, of, it, it feels right. I can't explain, I don't understand, that's Tainug. Tainug is a non-describable pleasure, which is very deep to who you really are. Not someone that you're not, really who you are. Now, <clears throat> so that's the way Rotzain and Tainug works within us. Again, Rotzain overpowers us, and therefore my intellect and emotions have not been shifted. It's, they're not really, they didn't go, they didn't go willingly or happily, they just went to sleep, and okay, we'll go with it. We're not on board. Tainug, you're on board. Sure you're on board. So the Rebbe explained the same thing also happens on a spiritual level, kaviyachol, which means if you can describe these ideas to God that affect the way things evolve in this world. And it was like this. Let's say there was a decree that you should or shouldn't have something. A tzaddik goes ahead, prays to God, makes a blessing, and even though there's a decree against it, but the tzaddik has the power, which we said again is called what? Chitzonius. Hakeser. Arich, which is Ratzon. He draws down a new blessing for you. He annuls the decree. But how does it work? It's coming with force and control that causes his blessing to, to, make, to, to come happen. Or as they we quoted the verse before, Tzadik Moishel Begiris Halakim. He rules. Ratzon. He rules over. In other words, you're ruling over his shalshos. Now, so the fact is, does he affect the change? Sure he does. Just like Ratzon affects the change. But did he change nature? No, he didn't. But did he cause it the blessing to happen? Yes. He caused you get the blessing. Now, that is the level of a tzaddik, the way a tzaddik works. What happens when Pnimia Sarkesar, Taina kicks in to change something, which happens through the path of Yasharim, which we didn't talk in depth of what a Yasher is, but the, happens to the path of a Yasher, not in the way of control. In other words, it comes from the level of Tainug on a spiritual level, which we said is Pnimia Sarkesar, which is basically the internal part of the flow of all the spheroids. So therefore, since it's coming from the internal part of the spheroids, 
So when there's a change, there's a change in nature as well. And nature is going with the change. Nature likes the change. It's comfortable with the change. And uh, based on this, the Rebbe explains it's something very, very powerful and very important. Quotes in the Talmud, in Baba Matziah, the Talmud says like this, whoever learns with the son or daughter of a ignoramus, Torah, even if God has a decree against that person, boom, it will be nullified. Very powerful, very important. Next time you go learn with someone and you know that they're, they're, they're children of people that aren't necessarily the greatest Torah scholars, guess what? You're causing that if there's ever a decree against you, the, the decree goes away. Very, very important piece of Talmud. And uh, it says in the Talmud, it works. So if you learn with somebody that the parents are ignoramus, you, any decree you had against you, boom, goes away. Why? Because the, the quote of verse says like this. The im which means if you take and you bring out something yakar, beautiful, from something which is nothing, waste, then whatever's going to come out of your mouth, that's what's going to be. Powerful. In other words, like this. So, what does it mean when you learn with someone Torah that their parents are ignoramus? That means. They have no connection. Any decree, Hashem annuls the decree. Hashem annuls the decree. In other words, which is much higher than a tzaddik. Because by a tzaddik, what does it say? That God makes a decree and the tzaddik annuls it. So to speak, against Hashem's will. But on the other hand, when you go ahead and learn with someone... You create timing by Hashem that you're taking someone that has no connection with Judaism and you inspire them with Judaism. Who annuls the decree? Not the tzaddik. Hashem does. Why is that? Because, and this is something very, very powerful. You can learn what Hashem gets excited about. And Rebbe explains very simple. Because the tainuk, pleasure, that Hashem gets on high, you know what he gets pleasure from? When there's something which is called a chiddush, a novel idea. What does it mean, a novel idea? Anytime you take chayshach, darkness, and you transform it into light, you mahapeh chayshach, darkness to light, you take yakar, mizoylel, you take from waste, and you make something beautiful, that causes tremendous tainog, tremendous pleasure from Hashem. Now, so when a tzaddik goes ahead, now, now there is tying the two together. So when a tzaddik goes ahead and learns Torah with someone out there in the street, a child of an Amaris, Hashem gets tremendous pleasure, Tainuk. So then what happens is, the annulment of the decree doesn't happen where, Hashem, where the tzaddik breaks the decree. In other words, that this is a decree, and the tzaddik goes ahead through Chitzani Sarkasa breaks the decree. No, no, no. When you create the idea of Isabcha, then what happens is, through the Tainuk that Hashem gets, Hashem knows the decree. Now, so we see over here so far two things. The way Ratzim works is it forces the intellect and the emotions to follow. Tainug, the intellect and emotions are, are, are on board. The same thing also. When a tzaddik comes from Ratzim, 
So he forces Hashem to go along board. Okay? He still accomplishes it. But however, when you do it through a Yashar, through Tainug, and we already know what Yashar means, someone that causes this someone that goes ahead and teaches someone that, that doesn't have a Jewish background, or Jewish, or Jewish parents that brought him up Jewish, or gave him a Jewish education, and you take someone that, so to speak, doesn't have it, and you give it to them, Hashem loves when you take darkness and bring light into the darkness. The more the darkness, the more the light you bring in, that creates tremendous Tainug. When you do that, guess what? All the degrees, Hashem takes it away. Not that we have to force it. Hashem takes it away automatically. Now, okay, and we're going to go a little further. We all know that we're talking about Atik and Arach. So Arach is Chitzonius Akasar, Atik is Premius Akasar. Now, what does Atik mean? The little translation. Atik comes from the word of Netak, the Nivdal. It's separated. Now, in in Atik, there's something which is called Atik Yoimin. That's the way Atik is called Atik Yoimin. There's different levels in Atik. One level is called Atik Yoimin, which means that it's it's separated from Yoimin. So in other words, there's Yoimin, even though it's a very high level. It's the Pneumius of Kesser. But it's Atik, it's separated from the days, but it's but it's still so there is something which is called days, there is something which is called nature, and it's disconnected from it. There's even in the level of Atik plane, which is not disconnected from days. But the fact that you're saying Atik it's disconnected, that means it has a connection, but it's disconnected. So Atik, even though it's premius Akasar, but it's disconnected. So it has a connection that's disconnected. Now, so therefore because it's disconnected, but it has a connection, so in order for it to take away the decree, it requires a pula, requires effort. Because why? Because from the yoimin, from the days, from nature, there's a decree that it shouldn't be. Atta comes along and has to fight that there shouldn't be and makes it it should be. And the only benefit of Atik over Arich, as we said before, that in Arich the spheres aren't really part of it, are the process. It didn't really give up its, its identity because it was forced. With Atik, fine, it comes along with the process, but it's still something which requires effort. But here, we're going to go back to the main point. When you have Pneumius Atik, which comes from who? From a Chassid. That doesn't require effort. That's automatic. When Pneumius Atik, so that's Pneumius of Kesser and Pneumius of Pneumius Kesser. So it's the Pneumius of Atik comes along, that's revealed, then the change is automatic. Automatic. It doesn't require any effort. Because it's not, it's not even, there's no connection. It's totally above nature. Why is that? Because Pneumius Atik is the level of, and I'll say it in Hebrew and I'll translate it, Ein Soif, infinite light, Bereshis de Lo Yisyada. In the beginning, which is not known totally disconnected from any relationship to this world. Now, what does Ein Saif mean? Ein Saif means there's no end. What does Ein Saif mean? There's no limits. No limits. So obviously if it has no limits, you can't say that there's a world, there's nature, and it's disconnected. Because there's no limits. There's no, there's no nature and there's no disconnect. There's nothing. It's, it's, it's hard for us humans to relate to something which is infinite. We know finite. We know a finite, above finite, but infinite, it's hard for us to relate to. But infinite means there's no connection. 
Now, even though it's in a place of racious, the loisya that exists somewhere, in a place where it's not known, but, but how, how is it there? It's not there the way it relates to it. It's there in a way which is totally on its own, which is really, really infinite. Now, so therefore, therefore, when there's an annulment of a decree in this physical world, by drawing in Pneumius Attic, not Pneumius of Kesser, Pneumius Attic, which is Pneumius of Pneumius of Kesser. So it doesn't mean that when you draw in Pneumius Attic, ah, the decree gets annulled. No, no, no. What it means is when Pneumius Attic is drawn into this world, there's no, there's no decree to begin with. You're going to say, what do you mean, yesterday was a decree? That's yesterday. You, you're using natural terms. When Pneumius Attic is revealed, there was no decree to begin with. It's impossible for humans to comprehend it. What do you mean, yesterday it was? Ken, that's nature. When Pneumius Attic comes in, there's no decree to begin with. You're going to say, what do you mean, what happened? There was a decree. What decree? When decree? Pneumius Attic kicks in, there was no decree to begin with. When it's Attic that gets kicked in, so there's a decree and you know the decree. Arch, you know the decree. The question is whether it's Transformed or not transformed. Pneumius Atta kicks in, there's no decree to begin with. So based on this, we can explain very powerfully what it means. Someone that's on the level of a chassid, which means he reaches the level of Pneumius Atik, and that Pneumius Atik causes a blessing from where? From Haidoya, from the deepest place of Pneumius Atik. There's no decree to begin with. Like it says in the Yerushalmi, like we quoted before already. Even if Hashem says like this, and you say like this, yours, which means that annulment decree stands, and the original decree doesn't, doesn't even exist. In other words, loikaima means, not that it gets, we have to, we have to annul the decree. It means very simple, when Pneumius Atta kicks in, there's no decree to begin with. Loikaima doesn't exist. What do you mean? What? What do you mean? It doesn't exist. Period. End of story. And based on that, the, the, the insight is very, very simple. Yoiducha. When you reach the place of Yoiducha, you acknowledge. You're reaching the place of Primiyasatik. Vachasidecha Yivarchucha. That the, you're drawing down from a place, from Hoidoya, in a way of a blessing which is automatic, because it's coming from Primiyasatik, which comes specifically through Chasidecha. Then it comes automatic, and there's no decree whatsoever to begin with. And based on this, Rebbe explains very, very simple. This is the difference between the three ways with the light, the, the powerful energy is drawn down to this world, which again is arich, the lowest, atik, and primis atik, and it also applies to the avoda birurim, transformation. Why? Because when you have the transformation which comes through the revelation of, so to speak, the lowest one, Arich, that's like when it comes Malmaila Lamata. What does it mean Malmaila Lamata? It means very, very simple. When you have a powerful light that comes in to a lower place, so why does the lower place get inspired? Not because the lower place became inspired at all, because it's such a powerful light, which we call Soiviv, a very powerful light come in, so it totally gets nullified. So therefore, even after the light came in and it was, so to speak, transformed, it, the fact that it doesn't cause any issues, it's not because it totally got nullified. 
It's just the light is so strong. That's why it's called Melmai Lamato. Now, so that's the lowest level, Arach, which means it's like Melmai Lamato because the light comes in, but there's no transformation that place, take, takes place. The transformation that takes place through Attic, so that is where the Tachtain itself gets a little transformed. Why? Because what we say before, Tainog is the internal and the essence of all transformations. So therefore, the transformation of the lowest level, it actually creates a change and an effect in the lowest part of the world. And like he explains in the Hasidic Discourse, like what happened in the times of King Solomon. And this is very, very, very interesting. In the times of King Solomon, when King Solomon was the king, and when he built the temple, so it says that the revelation that existed in the times of King Solomon was in the level of Attic, not Pneumius Attic, regular Attic. Now, what does that mean? It was a very, very powerful light. And because it was a very powerful light, it didn't have to go out and find the sparks. When you put out a big light in the street, right, big, a big, big torch in the street, a big light, all the sparks come. The sparks come automatic. Now, since the transformation took, took place in a way that the sparks came automatic, so obviously the sparks were affected. They came, they got moved to come. But nevertheless, even if they, even they were moved and they came because they saw the light, but the, 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 pers- the, the spark that came still remained a tachtain, still remained an unholy spark. And so why did it come? Because it was a powerful light. It moved them, but didn't totally get rid of them. Now, so that's in the second level, where it's a powerful light, the sparks come. But, and the sparks come on their own, but the sparks are still, are still, are still on a low level. But what happens is when you have Pneumius Attic, the, not Pneumius Attic, Pneumius Attic itself gets revealed, but since we said before, what's Pneumius Attic? That's the infinite of Reishis the Loyisiado, which is in the essence of the infinite light of Hashem. And when you're dealing with the infinite light of Hashem, there's nothing else that exists. There's nothing else that's the only thing that really exists. And on the contrary, as it says in the Rambam, the truth of Hashem, that's everything that exists. Anything that exists in this world, whatever you're thinking of, seeing, know that exists, what's the true existence is really Hashem. So therefore, when you reveal Pneumius Atik, so what happens is, in every, when you reveal it, everything that exists in this world is really the essence of Hashem. So when you reveal the true part of everything that exists in the world, then what happens is, all of a sudden, you have godliness and everything. Now, so, since we said, what we, we have three levels. Arich, Atik, Pneumius Atik. Arich, a light comes in, no trans, I mean, for the moment, the light is on, but no one got transformed. Attic already, like for example, by King Solomon. So the light went on. The, there was a movement because people came to him, but it wasn't totally transformed. But when Attic kicks in, then there's a total transformation because then everyone actually realizes who their real source of life is, which is really Hashem. Now, but the question then is, if in the times of King Solomon, Attic, which is a very powerful, the, the, the premise of Kassar is giving off light, <coughs> But what happens is, in the times of King Solomon, the only ones that really that came to him is someone that had a connection with light. 
Someone that had a connection with light saw the light came. But if you had no connection to light, you were sitting in darkness. Why are you going? What do you have to do with light? So when Mashiach comes, then everything, light, not light, everyone's going to come to the light of Mashiach. Why? Because the transformation that takes place from Chitzonius of Attic, which obviously was what? In the times of, of, of Shleim Melech. So they didn't get transformed on their own. They came because the light was there. So the only ones that actually came were the ones that basically felt the light and were, had some kind of connection to light. However, when Pneumiasate gets revealed, so what happens when Pneumiasate gets revealed, what gets revealed is in the essence of every single per person and thing, you, the godliness in every person gets revealed. So therefore, when Mashiach comes, since every single person, the essence of the person, the essence of the thing and the place is going to get revealed, so even, and this is very powerful, even the sparks that, would, that are dark and that are totally disconnected will be elevated and will be, become one with holiness. And not only that, the physical world, not only the sparks, but literally the physical world will be totally one with Hashem um, because the essence of every single thing will be revealed. Now, that's one difference. Another difference between the transformation that took place in the times of King Solomon and what's going to happen when Mashiach comes, because in the times of King Solomon, how did they get transformed? They literally had to travel to King Solomon. But until they came to him, they weren't transformed. Now, even though he gave off a tremendous big light, and they heard about him far, 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 far away, which caused them actually to come to him. But the transformation only took place when they came to him. Like we know the famous story about um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the queen of Sheba. Hold the bait, whether it's a man or a woman, but anyway, the, 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 about the queen of Sheba, she heard about this King Solomon. Again, why? Because the light was huge. She ha so she didn't get transformed what she was. She actually traveled to him. And she came to Yerushalayim. And only when she came was she totally tra transformed. And she said, oh my gosh, till I, when you look in the prophet, she said, what I heard is only half of what I am actually seeing. The true transformation came, took place only when she came to him. Why? Because the transformation wasn't from her. It was from the big light. The more she came to the light, the more she was transformed. Or he was transformed. <clears throat> So they had to actually come there. However, it says Mashiach comes, because what's going to happen then, <coughs> it's not that a light is going to go out. The truth of every single person is going to be revealed. So once the truth of every one of us is going to be revealed, and the world is going to be revealed, then it's going to be fulfilled. Like it says in the prophet, all the nations of the world are going to be transformed. They're all going to serve one Hashem. Now, so that is all so far in reference to Pneumiasatik, which takes place by the light that comes out, when you reach the place of Idoya. Jerebbe says this same idea applies when it comes to learning and spreading Hasidus. And this is very, very powerful. Because we all know that if we want to um, get ready and we want to be a vessel for the light of Mashiach, so we have to learn chassidus. Why? And this is powerful. If you only get this in the class, it'll be amazing.
I mean, there's tremendous things in the class. But the Rebbe says, because learning Chassidus, the teachings of Chassidus, is you ready? Is Pneumius Atik. Wow. Again, we learned Arich, very powerful. Atik, very powerful. Pneumius Akasar. What's the most powerful? Yeducha, the highest place, or the source of the greatest blessings reveals who we are, is what? That's the highest. And that happens through Messiris Nefesh, Hanukkah, etc., the candles, which we'll get back to in a minute. But the Rebbe says that what? Learning Chsidis, the teachings of Chsidis, is Pneumiosatic. Pneumiosatic learning Chsidis. You can't get higher than that in this world. And based on the Rebbe says that when a person learns Torah Chsidis, and you go ahead and you behave like a Chassid, what happens then is your natural attributes, your intellect, your emotions of the person learning to this key point, they become godly attributes. So your intellect is not anymore a intellect or emotions. They become godly intellect, godly emotions. By what? By learning to this. So here you see, if you want to become a real godly person, you want your intellect to be in line with God, or to be godly. You want your emotions to be godly emotions. Learn this. Behave like a chassid. Your life will be changed. Not nothing will you compare to. Over the top. Learning this again will take you to premiasatic, where literally your intellect and your emotions will become godly. Rabbi says it. Why? Why does that work? Because when you draw down Pneumiosatic, it's felt. It's not thought. It's really felt in a tangible way, or if you don't feel it physically, at least definitely in a concealed way. What do you feel when you learn Chassidus? What do you literally feel or subconsciously feel? That the true existence is the existence of Hashem. And that's really the goal of Chassidus. That you should learn intellectually, but more what you should feel and you should live, that the true existence is Hashem. So what's the whole idea of Yifutsu Ma'ina that the wellsprings of Chassidus should be um, felt all over the world, that even in a place of Chutzah, even a place of darkness, you have to spread out the teachings of Chassidus to the most darkest place, and it says, the well itself. Not the water, the spring water that comes from the well. Like in the times of King Solomon, the Chitsonius of Attic, and those Attic, Primis Akeser, which is Chitsonius of Attic, which was in the times of Beis Migdash, in times of Yerushalayim, that people came to join. No, no, the, When you learn Chsidis and you teach Chsidis, the Mayan, the Mayan, the well, Pneumiosatic itself goes out there. And when the well goes out into the world, the world itself realizes that the true existence is the Mayan, is Hashem. And based on this, Rebbe explains very beautifully the famous line from the Rebbe Rashab. The Rebbe Rashab said that um, what happened was, we all know that the altar went into prison uh, for spreading uh, Chsidis, and it was a tremendous decree in heaven against him spreading Chsidis. So the Rebbe Rashab says, about the revelation of Chassidus that started with the Alter Rebbe after 
he got released from Petersburg, from Petersburg where he was in jail. Which it's, so he gives an example, just like an olive. When you crush the olive, what happens when you crush the olive? You get the oil. If you don't crush the olive, you don't get the oil. You see a nice olive, but you don't have the oil. You have to crush the olive to get the oil. So Rebbe Hashem says that the reason that the revelation of Chassidus was tremendous only after unfortunate situation of Petersburg because, and it's compared, because Chassidus we know is compared to oil. Why? Why is it compared to oil? Because oil has two, two powerful components. On one hand, oil is always separate. <clears throat> Mixing oil in a bottle uh, with the different liquids, oil is always going to go to the top. Oil is separate. It doesn't get mixed in. On the other hand, it's mafafeya, it penetrates through everything. Put oil, it, 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 it knows it's separate, but it gets penetrated. Two fascinating ideas. It's separate, but it penetrates everything. In other words, it literally gets penetrated and has an impact. And the same thing also Rabbi Shav says in reference to the revelation of Yutas Kislev. Because that's when the real hafatzas hamayonas, the spreadings of the wellspring, not the water from the well, the wellspring itself started to go out all over the world. Why? Because that's when the revelation of Pneumius Atik started to be revealed all over to the world. And because on one hand, Pneumius of Atik is separate. It's separate. It's higher. It's the highest. But nevertheless, there's more than obviously Chesonius Atik. Just like just like oil doesn't get mixed in. But nevertheless, and specifically because of that, Yutis Kislev started where the Mayan itself went out. Why? Because in the world itself, even though it's separate, but it has an impact on the world. And it affects the world. Just like oil has a tremendous impact. Now, bring it back to full circle. Because we started, we want to talk about Hanukkah. Same thing all services about reference to Hanukkah. And specifically, again, Hanukkah itself, and specifically about the candles of Hanukkah. That why did we establish the miracle of Hanukkah was from the miracle of the oil? What is the miracle of oil? The revelation of Pnimi Esatik, the highest level. And that's why it's brought down in Chassidus, that the tremendous power and, and, and of, of the candles of Hanukkah over the candles of the base of Megdash is because the candles of Hanukkah is above nature. Even though Arich is above nature, and how much more so, Chitzonius of Atik is also above nature. But the fact is, this idea of above nature, where it's all over, high, low, it's all equal, that's only Primius Atik. Because Primius Atik is saying is, wherever it is, high, low, here, there, everywhere, the essence of everything is Hashem. And that's Primius Atik. Because Chitzonius Atik, where is that revealed? In a high place. Okay, it has an impact below. Like King Solomon. It was in a high place, it had an impact below. Pneumiosatic means every place it's felt. <clears throat> like King Solomon, where was his main revelation? In Yerushalayim. From there, he had an impact in other places up until the Queen of Sheba came to see him because she saw the light. But the fact is, the main idea of above nature which means all the places, everything is the same. That's only where in Primiasatic. Which basically means that it's all over. High, low, in, in the lowest places, Primiasatic is also. Not only that, even more so, in reference to the idea of Primiasatic, 
there's no difference high and low. If you think about it, premius atik is no high and low. It's all the same thing. Because once you reveal premius atik, what do you see? In every place is God. So how can you say higher and lower? If you're doing premius atik, that means it's all Hashem. All over it's the same thing. So based on this, Rebbe explains very simple. That's why we put the Hanukkah candles where? Outside. In the public place. Not like the base of Migdash, that it was inside, and from there it gave off light to the outside. Because the fact, this idea that Hanukkah gives off light to the outside, because the light is in the outside. The light is all over. If it's inside, it's light, and it's outside, it's light. And that's why also the time that you light the candles is when? When it starts getting dark. Why? Think about it. If you're lighting the candles when it's dark, so you're saying there's light, and there's darkness, and it lights up the darkness. Or by day, you're lighting candles by day, so it's lighting by day, what are you doing? But here, no, no, as it's getting dark, that means it's not light, it's not dark, you're putting in the light. So you're trying to make a statement that light is all over. Light is in the light, light is part of the darkness, and it's all about light. It's not that you're lighting up the darkness. And that's unique in, in Shkia Sahama when it starts getting dark. <clears throat> and take it a step further when do you light the, when, when, do, when does the candles burn in the darkness it starts off in Shkia to show that wherever it is it's about the light not about the light lighting up the darkness but also when do you light the dark where does it continue lighting in the darkness in a public place because the goal is that the darkness itself should be transformed transformed to light and that's why the reason is that who caused this revelation of Primius Atik was specifically the self-sacrifice of who? Matisyo and his children. And not the sacrifice of Purim. Why? Because think about the sacrifice of Matisyo and his children. They were weak. They were a few people. Nevertheless, they're weak. A few people. They're going to wage war against strong people and many people. Who goes ahead and does a natural activity? What are you? We're going to go wage war. We're weak and we're, and we're few. To what? To, to win over the Greeks? I mean, it's ridiculous. There is no room in nature that it can win. How can they win? How can they do it? So why they do it? Because they knew one thing. That even nature, you're making this whole calculation, how can we win? Because they knew that nature which the whole, this whole physical world that we're li living in, where Klipot is very, very strong, and this, uh, this tremendous op opposition, it's big and it's strong, etc. They knew that even nature is godliness. You tell me nature doesn't work. Nature is godliness. And this, was, tell me it was simple. It was standard. Because they felt that Hashem is everywhere. There's no thing, place where Hashem is not. Hashem is in nature. Hashem is above nature. Hashem is in the many. Hashem is in few. There's not about many and few. Hashem is in everything. So because they got it, they understood that Hashem is everywhere, by them, Pnimi Asatik was reality. They felt and they lived that Hashem is everywhere. And because they felt it and they lived it, they were able to draw down the tremendous blessing of Pnimi Asatik. So it started with them. Matasyon Bonav represented the fact that we believe that Hashem is everywhere. In simple English, or in Kabbalistic terms, it means Primiusatik was alive by them. And therefore they were able to cause Primiusatik to come to the world.
And based on this, Rebbe says, that's why the time to light candles is, it says in the Talmud, till when do you light the candles? You're coming home late from work, till, from wherever you're coming home. So it says in the Talmud, ad the kalya rigla tamadoi. So the Talmud says that in the market, they had people that would sell wood. Uh, they sell many things, but the, the, everyone left home at a certain time. But if you're selling wood, you would stay later. Why would you stay later? Because let's say someone comes home to make a fire in their house, to, to heat up food or heat up the stove. They have no wood. So you run out to the market. So they always, the last ones that stayed was tamadari. They would sell, they would sell wood. So, so, <clears throat> so as long as the people are, the last people, the tamadari are on the market selling wood, you can still light the Hanukkah menorah. Now, Tamadoi is also from the same word of Moirid, someone that's a rebel, a rebel against Hashem. Tamad is the same word as Moredes, which, by the way, it's also in line which, with, with a simple, you're going to say, so what, what, what do you want from these poor wood people? They're out there helping people. Why are you calling them rebels? So it's brought down in the Talmud. It says, actually, that several of the servants of King Solomon that were rebels, they were part of that group. So it wasn't just they were selling wood, but they were also the rebels that were selling the wood. But again, that's another discussion for itself. But for at least from a simple perspective, Tarbandari comes from the word of rebels. What does that mean? So we're talking about till when, could, till when could you and should you light candles as long as there's a rebel out there. You have to light the candles. What does that mean? Because by lighting the candles, you actually, kalya rigolotzamatoi means you get rid of the rebels. Now what does that mean you get rid of the rebels? So the rebel explains us two insights that lighting the candles get rid, of, get rid of the rebels. One is by lighting the candles, psh, you destroy the rebels. You put on the light, we know you put on the light, darkness goes away. By putting on the light, the rebels go away. That's one insight. But another insight is that by lighting the candles, you cause kilyoin, a, a, a tremendous yearning. The soul is yearning. Even someone that's a rebel, someone that's out there making trouble, they also have a yearning for Hashem. That even someone that was a rebel should want to cleave to Hashem, like give up his life for Hashem. And this is the tremendous transformation that takes place through Hanukkah. In reference to the light that was in the times of King Solomon. Why? Because what did we say before? The light in the times of King Solomon only transformed people that knew about light, appreciated light. Someone that didn't appreciate light wasn't inspired from King Solomon's powerful light. But sparks that were, got doled out, there was no light left to them, or they weren't transformed, or they were rebels, they weren't getting inspired from King Solomon. But on the other hand, from the light of Hanukkah, there, you can create a yearning, even in a rebel. That's how powerful the lights of Hanukkah are. And therefore the Rebbe says, from here you see, when it comes to spreading and teaching chassidus. Because we said before, chassidus is all about what? Pneumiasatic. That even somebody that's out there has no connection, or a revealed connection at least. Uh, or even someone that's a rebel, God forbid. But by bringing the well, bringing chassidus, and that's what we're here, teaching chassidus on YouTube, bringing chassidus to the world, what happens then is you can literally nullify every existence of any type of rebel or any rebel that's within even someone that's regulatory someone that's a rebel which regulars a foot means even on like like they're on the lowest level and, but you can accomplish in them they should have a kiloyoin 
a tremendous yearning, kolos and efforts for Hashem. Up until, as everything finishes off, God willing, lost and loving Mashiach will come. Then, Hashem will take off the impure spirit from the world. And not only that, whoever finishes off what the prophet says, Oz amim. Then I'm going to turn around all the nations of the world. We're all going to serve, God willing, one powerful Hashem. So obviously you can tell this is a long but deep Kabbalah class in Hanukkah. And here you see the tremendous power of Hanukkah, the lights of Hanukkah. Hanukkah lights have the power that it can brighten up anybody and anything. Why? Because since we're dealing with premius atik, which really is the essence of who we are, all we need to do is light the Hanukkah and someone should feel that really, who are we? We are here because we're part of Hashem. And that will give us the greatest connection to Hashem. That applies on Hanukkah, but all throughout the year. By learning Chassidus, you can change your life in the most meaningful, powerful way. Because you'll see that really, who are we? We are part of Hashem. And when you connect to the infinite light of Hashem, you have the greatest, you connect, you connect to the greatest places, draw down the greatest blessings, and you'll have, God willing, the most greatest, blessed <coughs> life, full of tremendous light. And the greatest blessing is being connected to Hashem. So thanks so much for joining us for our weekly Chassidus class. Hopefully we'll all connect to the light of Hanukkah and we'll all be blessed with Pnimi Yisatik being revealed to us. And as the Rebbe says clearly, the key is by learning Chassidus, by having Bittal, by lighting the Hanukkah candles. And this way, Mitchum, God willing, if we do our job, as the Rebbe finishes off, we'll have the revelation of, 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 of Mashiach, and we'll all be serving one Hashem in Yerushalayim, Ere Kodesh, and God willing, the next class will be in Eretz Yisrael, Ere Kodesh. Have a great and blessed week, and a happy Hanukkah.